All right, guys, welcome back. We got another pivotal discussion here, and this one is a special one for me because this is somebody that I've been connected with for a while, and it's, we were trying to like figure out exactly where this kind of came from. He had started a company and still owns and found that company today, Night Food, and it originally started as a bar, which a lot of maybe your customers now, because you've grown a bunch, um, maybe don't remember that history. And because right. I you know, work in functional CPG and a lot of times my customers are with bars and drinks, uh, energy drinks and nutritional supplements and things, I caught wind of it because it was something a little bit interesting because you were looking at a use occasion towards the nighttime where a lot of the category as a whole was looking at it as, you know, something maybe portable that you can bring while you're traveling or maybe pre-workout or maybe post-workout, but nobody was really talking about it in the sense of nighttime snacking. So it caught my eye initially, plus the packaging was really unique and there was just a lot of things going on. And I was like, I need to connect with this founder CEO and see what he's all about. And then through some of these iterations, now you're within my personal favorite category of CPG that I don't work all that much in, but I consume every single day. People laugh because they're like, I don't think you consume ice cream every day, but I literally consume ice cream every single day. So I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, Sean Folkson is the founder and CEO of Night Food. And um, welcome, Sean. Yeah, I'm real happy to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. What shifted you from bars to ice cream? Because the ice cream category is one that I think I think a lot of people love to obviously consume like myself, but a lot of people stay away from because there's some challenges in that category. Yeah, definitely some some unique challenges in the category. Um, you know, it's a, it's a much more expensive way to do business, but what you're what you're doing in the ice cream space that's different from the bar space, I think, is you're connecting especially for our situation, like you said, we were focused on a use occasion. We still are. And that's nighttime snacking. And, you know, the reality of it is that at night people go a little bit off the rails. You know, the people that are making good choices uh, throughout the day, if they're going to screw up, it's going to be, you know, in that slot between dinner and bedtime. And what we found was that when we introduced the bars years ago, uh, people were really excited about the idea of having a better, healthier, more sleep-friendly nighttime snack. And the bars tested well. They tasted great. There's people, a lot of people that are upset that we, we did end up discontinuing them to focus on the ice cream. But what we found was that I think people, there were two things with bars. People were focused on if they were going to have a snack at night, it was either, if, if, they, were, if they were disciplined enough then they would be eating something, either the existing bars that they would already like to eat, or they would go for carrot sticks, or they would just not be eating. They'd be doing you know, IF intermittent fasting or whatever. And then the other group of people were just going off the rails, right? They were trying to eat good all day, and then they would end up in the, you know, I'll say Ben and Jerry's or Oreos or, or whatever at night. And, and bars, I don't think we weren't able to pierce either of those two groups of people because it just wasn't um, wasn't exciting enough. I mean, ice cream, you know, the, the, what I say to people is, you know, everybody kind of wanted a solution to nighttime snacking, but giving them bars compared to ice cream, it's like giving an eight-year-old a pet rock or a puppy, yeah. right? Technically, they're both pets. Um, one is a lot easier to get excited about. And we wanted, we felt we needed that level of excitement because we're breaking a category here which is this concept of sleep-friendly snacking, nighttime nutrition. Uh, sleep-friendly is, is something that we've coined. And we just, I was always a bar guy myself. I would eat bars, you know, I mean, the way I got the idea for the company and for the business was, you know, I used to eat really unhealthy stuff. And when I started eating healthier and I was a bachelor, I used to keep these, these bars in the house. I'm sure you know the brand Myoplex, right? So yeah. I used to have my Myoplex bars. And so... Uh, when I went on Body for Life in like 1997, Bill Phillips, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're supposed to eat every two and a half, every three hours, smaller meals. And so I started eating Myoplex. I had the Myoplex bars in my house. And he literally said, okay, dinner would be at like 6 or 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And then a couple of hours later, you'd have a snack. Well, I was eating Myoplex bars. These are workout bars as a snack. They were, I don't remember, 340 calories and super dense. So, they tasted so good, but I wasn't falling asleep. And so, so to make matters worse, now I'm having a Myoplex bar at 9.30. Now I'm not falling asleep. 
So I'm still working. I was, I was, um, you know, I had my internet marketing company and now it's midnight or 1230 or whatever, and I'm still hungry. And again, all I have in the house is myoplex. So I would go nicer. I would eat three of these bars. I looked at my old, when I started the company, when I started night food, I looked back, I used to buy from a, a website called fit RX. Okay. And I would pass through my receipt. I, I, I don't remember, but I spent like $10,000 <laughs> over a period of like three and a half or four years on myoplex, the shakes and the bars. Um, but that was when I that was when I got really the idea in college. I noticed, uh, you know, and I hope my mom's not watching. But if I drank too much, uh, you know, or if I drank tequila, I would wake up feeling different than if I just had beer. Um, if I had wings, you know, after all the tequila before I went to sleep versus pizza. Right. I would wake up feeling different and I would have different kinds of dreams depending on what I ate. So I really noticed the, the connection between nutrition and sleep back in college. And then when I in 97, when I did the body for life thing and I started eating the nutrition bars and I couldn't sleep, that's when I realized that, hey, maybe there's an opportunity. Here. And I went online. I don't think Google probably didn't even exist <laughs> you know, back then. That's how long ago this was, like 1997. So I went on whatever it was, Alta Vista or Lycos or Excite or Yahoo probably. And I looked up, you know, because if there was a PM snack food, Josh, I probably would have just bought 365 yeah. servings. And the next year I would have come back and bought more. And I just would have been their best customer. I would have gone on with my life happily ever after. But there wasn't. And it kind of became an obsession because at parties, you know, cocktail parties, dinner parties, I'd be talking to people. I'd be like, hey, you know, do you, do you ever snack at night? Oh, my God, I'm always snacking. I ate all the worst stuff. And I, it's, I started to realize that there was this thing there that it wasn't, I wasn't the only one and it was really powerful. So to, to get back to why did we move away from the bars? It was easy for me to get excited about bars and it was my company and, and people yeah. did love bars, but I think because it was bars, people were looking too much for the functional component of it. Like if they ate that bar and it didn't feel like the effect of an Ambien within 20 or 30 minutes, I mean, you know, we would get emails like, oh my God, the bars tasted great and it kept me away from the junk and I was so happy to have it. But, you know, I kind of had an average night of sleep. So you suck. I'm never yeah. buying your product again. One star. And I'm telling all my friends, you know, to, to block you. So it was like that. It was like no matter what else we did for people, they expected that ambient type experience in a bar. And even with the old, I'm bringing this full circle, even with the old night food packaging, which is, this is the new packaging behind it, mm -hmm. but with the, the most recent version, the packaging that's on shelves now, because this stuff behind me, that's that's gonna hit shelves in about two or three months. The packaging that's on shelf now, we because of all the feedback we got with the bars, we were scared to, to over-promise on the sleep benefit or even to be very focused on it because we felt that if people really liked the ice cream um, but didn't get that, oh my God, tonight was the best night of, or last night, I guess, was the best night of sleep I ever had. I'm never buying their ice cream again. So we were very subtle about it. And what we discovered was that with ice cream, I think we had a lot more leeway. So now the emails were the opposite. It was like, mm. oh my God, the ice cream tasted great. Um, you know, it was so great. I, I can't believe, you know, it's, it was almost as good as Ben and Jerry's. It was so much better than Halo Top or, or whatever other ice creams out there. I don't know if I actually slept any better, but it was so good and I know it's so much healthier that I'm gonna keep buying it. So once we saw that and then we started, we surveyed people and we started asking that question and what we found out was that we have a leeway with the ice cream that we didn't have with the more functional presupposition or the more functional expectation that we were setting for the consumer. Now we're able to go harder. So now on the front of the package, it says sleep friendly. And we talk about our ingredients and we're not afraid of, we never were afraid of those things. We just didn't want to put it front and center because Josh, you probably know, you could go 10 days in a row eating the same exact thing for breakfast, lunch, dinner. You can exercise the same amount, get the same amount of sunlight, you're going to sleep differently every single night. There's going to be nights when you fall asleep a little easier, nights a little bit more. Sleep is such a dynamic process, and there's so much that goes into it. You can't override all of those things with ice cream like you can with Ambien. And if we set that expectation, we were setting ourselves up for trouble, so we stayed away from it. Um, but anyway, the bottom line is people are really excited about ice cream and, and in a way that they can't get excited about bars. Yeah. I think there's two things you said during that, that I was kind of thinking about. The first was, yeah, just the, I guess the expectation or, or going into a certain um, form of a food or beverage or anything, you, you have this 
idea that you think something's going to happen and in the bar. I think some people are, are probably more thinking about that as, like you said, more functional, more like a nutritional supplement. And that's just kind of how that category got started. So I think it's just built in there and yeah. people probably have crazy expectations. Um, and then snacking as a whole, like at nighttime, I don't necessarily, and I eat a ton of bars. I never really think about grabbing a bar at nighttime. I am looking for foods that for me, maybe it's because of the way I grew up and the childhood and the types of food I ate or whatever, I still look for those types of things. So maybe I'll pick a better for you option here and there if I can, but you're not fighting the wave of a lot of the natural consumption behaviors of consumers at that time at night. It is a lot of ice cream. I mean, I don't know the exact percentage, but I know most ice cream is, is getting consumed at, at nighttime. You have that you have um, just like chips and, and things that people do get off the rails of. And for you, it's like, okay, can we try to get them into something completely new? And I have to do all this education. I have to do all this stuff with the bar and say, hey, you're supposed to eat a bar. Or right. I can give you a better version, a more healthy version of what you're already consuming, what you're used to consuming. And then I can only need to message on like the better for you part or the functional part of this. And that's a much easier way yes. to approach the business over. Let's try to just educate the heck out of them on something completely new. And, and that costs a lot of money. And that's why a lot of businesses stay away from trying to create these new things. I mean, creating new categories or creating new um, habits it's not easy. And that's, and, and it's, it's one of those things where I think making that decision, though, some of your consumer base might've not understood it at the beginning. I'm, I'm sure if they've tried the ice cream, they probably now makes a lot more sense to them. Yeah. It, you know, th there's an amount of friction that comes with moving people out of their category, uh, out of their format. And it just, it was just, you know, the bars would have needed to do things that were, that you can't do in a food product. Um, you know, so, so yeah, that, that was the key thing. And, you know, it's funny because all along, you know, if, if we had spoken four years ago or whatever, and you said, well, you know, what is this, you know, are you just doing bars? I would have said, well, no, ultimately we want to do ice cream. We want to do cookies. We want to do chips. But when the bars get to a certain level, then we're going to branch out. Um, and at some point, you know, it was about three years ago now, I, I realized that the format was probably what was holding us back. And if we kept waiting for the bars to get to that level, we would never get to the ice cream, never get to the chips. And we're not an ice, you know, people still think, oh, this, these guys are an ice cream company. You know, we're a snack company. We're a better for you snack company. And the differentiation is that we're formulated with better sleep in mind. Because, you know, even, even you talked about, Josh, like sometimes you reach for better for you option at night. But how can something you eat at night really be better for you if it wasn't formulated with better sleep in mind? I mean, what the hell else are you doing, right, yeah. at night? other than sleeping. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's probably better to have lower calories and, and more fiber and less sugar and all that stuff. Uh, you know, that's generally a step in the right direction, but you know, sleep is what you're doing. And you know, there's certain things you wouldn't eat before a marathon. There's certain things you wouldn't eat before a big meeting. And, and really, you know, there's certain things that you should and shouldn't put into your body before you go to sleep. And that's, you know, what, what else could better for you possibly mean? So many people are snacking at night. You know, you talked about you don't know the statistics. I mean, it, it's it's pretty overwhelming. Eighty seven percent of us snack regularly at night. Cookies, chips, ice cream and candy is the most popular choices. And, you know, anybody who's reaching for something that's better for you, you know, once they start to understand, oh, my God, right. What I eat is going to impact my sleep. And there's more and more research coming out on that. I know you see what we post on LinkedIn or what I post on LinkedIn um, all the time and on Facebook you know, and, and people are starting to understand that. And I think that is a big trend that's coming and we are like, we are ready. Um, and I, I think, I think this year was a big year where people realized, um, you know, people are sleeping worse than ever. Stress is, is a big factor. There's plenty of research on that. And so I think that, you know, Pepsi's move into Driftwell, which you and I have talked about and some other things, I think all the big companies realize that the consumers are now ready to think about this nutrition and sleep link, which is bi-directional, by the way. Um, I, and I think that, that this is going to be a big, big trend. Mintel spotted it two or three years ago. I spotted it maybe too early. I spotted it, you know, 20 years ago. Um, sometimes you can be a little early, but hey, we're still here. We're, you know, we're growing fast. We've got a lot of great things in the works. So, you know, we're going to get our day in the sun. And I, I think it's just going to be an amazing run. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've been long and bullish on nighttime snacking and sleep and relaxation. And, and a lot of it is because I, I focus a ton of my attention over the last almost 10 years on the energy drink and, and coffee and all those types of categories that you start yeah. to look at some of those trends over time and you go, there's no counter to this. There's nothing that's, we're getting way over caffeinated. We're getting way over stimulated, but there's nobody's ever shutting off at nighttime. And then it's like, you're getting in this vicious cycle of, of just bad sleep and, and whatever. And, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that the different categories in terms of food and beverage applications and what may be better for you in that use occasion does mean that you should have some sleep and relaxation yeah. element to that. Is that, you know, it can't just be lower sugar, lower um, you know, carbs or whatever that diet proposition that somebody has, maybe that's what they consume and, and they assume is a better for you. But I think if it doesn't have one of those elements, it's technically in, in the most purest sense, it's not really better for you because you should be focusing on that latter part of your day is, is towards relaxation and sleep. And how do I make sure that that sleep cycle is the best that I can, that I can start back up and, and be as recharged and start going. I do want to transition and ask you because you did start in the bars and then you moved into the ice cream and a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this in the community they're not in the ice cream world and i don't think that they maybe realize the challenges and a lot of it comes down to distribution and also just like placement in the grocery store and maybe yeah. people are going to start to appreciate cold chain distribution a little bit more but with like the vaccines and stuff maybe that's going to come out a little bit more that people are going to realize how difficult all this stuff is but maybe you could touch like just a small amount of time on just like that difficulty and like you you having to learn that because before you didn't have to worry about that and then now that's your life day in and day out is trying to figure out all those complexities and challenges it's hard <laughs> i yeah. mean you know it's just hard you know you go on sales calls and the amount of logistics you know, that, that comes from, um, you know, even just doing a sales call, because, you know, the thing that, that uh, a lot of people don't understand, even when they're ordering ice cream online, is that dry ice is what's used to keep the product frozen. But dry ice, it's not like just having a, a portable freezer. The dry ice is so much colder and the ice cream gets so hard uh, inside, you know, that cooler with the dry ice. So you've got to try to time it so that when you're at those meetings, the temperature of the product is just mm -hmm. right. Um, you know, you, so, you know, I would always try to get to meetings early. Um, you try to keep the dry ice off the, <clears throat> off the, off the container itself. You know, you have a towel in there. So, um, you know, getting samples out, you know, there's times when um, a retailer wants to meet on a Monday and that's really hard because you can't have the stuff in transit over the weekend. Right. I mean, we work with the guys that do the, uh, that do all of the ice cream shipping for all the biggest ice cream brands. Um, they don't ship on Friday unless it's a Saturday overnight delivery. So, you know, getting stuff delivered on Monday. So you have to time that out. You've got a meeting coming up. You've got a, you know, maybe there's a broker in another part of the country. You want to get them a pint of each flavor. Do they even have space in their freezer for nine pints of ice cream? Um, so, and then sometimes it arrives and it's, 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 you know, UPS got delayed or FedEx or, um, or there was a problem. Uh, it got rerouted. It got melted. I mean, I remember I had a flight. I had a flight out of LaGuardia at 5 a.m. into Charlotte. We were meeting with Harris Teeter. Mm. And um, I called the broker. It was a Tuesday morning meeting. I called the broker on Monday night. And I said, hey, you got the samples, right? He's not. I don't have samples. I thought you were taking care of the samples. So we're trying to think, oh, okay, what do we do? <laughs> so fortunately, I was on the early flight. Because if I was on the 630, we wouldn't have had time. But we landed at Charlotte. We were in another supermarket chain. We're in Lowe's Foods, which is also down there. And we we literally drove to Lowe's Foods. We bought a cooler. We bought regular ice. Uh, we bought, uh, I guess we bought eight pints. Now, Lowe's only had uh, four of our flavors. Mm. So we went into the meeting with, with Harris Teeter, and we didn't even have most of our – we didn't have half the line. And we explained to them what happened, and it was it was a little bit embarrassing, and the ice cream was a little bit soft, but – I love my ice cream soft. I, I guess the Harris Teeter buyer did also, um, but it's hard. And then, and then slotting, right? So, you know, there's times when, you know, I, I see um, I see Mark Samuel from I1 and I see some of these other guys with these other brands and, you know, they get placement or they do a promo and they can put up these big racks and there's always, there's always a little bit more room in the store, you know, um, but there's not more room in the freezer. And, um, you know, so 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 slotting is typically much more expensive. It's much more competitive. 
you know, the slotting is the money that certain retailers charge uh, uh, brands to put their products on the shelf. And so it's hyper competitive, too. I mean, you need to perform. You know, we've gotten uh, we've, we've we've been thrown out of stores. You know, the stores we're in now, the stores we landed for last year, we're coming back because we're, we're growing. Right. Um, but at the start, it was really hard. I mean, the first supermarket we, we were in, we got tossed um, because we weren't selling enough and the space was just too valuable. Um, so that's the other piece of it. So in addition to all the logistical headaches, it's the competition for a very finite and limited amount of space. Um, so there's probably more that I could complain about, but uh, those are the big, the big items. Yeah, I think that the, just the real estate, obviously people shop in any grocery store, you know, you know, there's only certain cooler spaces and that ice cream section doesn't just keep extending out forever. And those brands that are in there, I think if you looked at, like you said, a, like a snacking salty snacks like chips, or if you go and look at the cookie section or something like that, if you looked at it maybe five years ago um, and you looked at it today, there is probably two or three X the amount of variants that yeah. are in that section now. And that is, you know, maybe plant-based, better for you, different flavors, different sizes. They, they incrementally figure out a way to, to add some more spaces to that. But yeah. the ice cream section has been the same and they don't really add anymore because they can't. It, it's very costly. So you need to have those brands in there to really move product. And, you know, one of the challenges, at least for upstart brands in that space is when you do get that cooler space, it's hard to outturn a lot of these very known existing brands in there. But it takes time, I think. And it also takes just people to understand, like, how that product is different because your product, though, is taste is great and whatever. There's a different like proposition that's attached right. to it. And when somebody picks it up and then understands that, then they're more willing to kind of keep going back to that. But they also have to tell other people about this product over how different it is over the Ben and Jerry or, you know, something right. typical of that. And as time goes, I mean, that momentum builds up. Yeah. You know, and you bring up something interesting. I mean, because we're so differentiated, we don't have to outturn those other guys uh, necessarily. What we have to do is we have to add value to the set for the category manager. Okay, so there's a there's an incrementality that I, I don't think a lot of consumers necessarily think about, um, but the buyers do. You know, um, they don't need yet another low calorie uh, option. They don't need another delicious option to go head to head against Talenti or Ben and Jerry's or Hagen Dazs necessarily. So if you're coming in and you're you're going head to head with those guys, you better outperform them or else why bother? Why not just let them have, you know, four more flavors of Haagen-Dazs or, or Talenti on the shelf? But with a product like Night Food, and I know there's other, I mean, uh, in the keto space, Rebel, of course, uh, is just, you know, blowing up and they're a year or two ahead of us, I guess, 18 months maybe. Um, but when you add incrementality so that consumers will come to the store because you have that product, because they need something different when you've got consumers that might not otherwise be buying ice cream, but they're buying ice cream because there's something uniquely different there. You can compete on more than just turns. You can compete on points of differentiation and it allows the buyers to give you that time to build up like what you're saying. Whereas if you're just you know, Josh's yummy ice cream, then, you know, you don't have that other X factor that's going to get you in the front door um, and keep you on the shelf a little bit longer. So that's a huge asset for us first with the nighttime and the sleep friendly piece. And now uh, the pregnancy piece, which are super high value consumers, you know, we've got that opportunity for the retailers to say, wait a second, if I put some delicious ice cream on the shelf, that's going to maybe cannibalize a little bit of Ben and Jerry's, you know, that's not really going to add anything incremental. But if I can put an ice cream on there that that pregnant women are going to be coming into my store or setting their husbands out in the blizzard like we all see in the movies to get this ice cream for them. And while they're in the store, they're going to be buying their meat and their milk and their eggs and everything else. That's a huge value proposition to that category manager. And that's why uh, the pregnancy piece uh, was such a big, big part. Of, of what we've been able to accomplish here in 2020. And it's gonna be huge for us in 2021, I think.
Yeah, I want to talk about those partnerships because I think that's a, a unique way to kind of <clears throat> add different um, customer groups or just try to um, you know attach to different propositions. And one of the flavors is kind of using one of those like I don't want to call it like shock and awe, but it's definitely something that's like super unique with like the pickles for two where like, I remember my mom when I was younger, I always would ask her, why did I like certain foods? One of the foods I love is pickles. Um, And she said, well, I used to eat a lot of pickles when I was pregnant. I don't know if there's any ever connection to that. I know that moms always say about those types of things. My mom will say the same things about my sister. Like, oh, I ate this during that pregnancy. But I think there probably is. There's definitely a connection between pickles, the salty thing and then ice cream. Um, And then who would have thought to put it together? Obviously, you guys did, and it's. You know, it's and then I remember when you launched that, uh, and you and you had some different things going on. I remember looking, and I'm like, "This is crazy." But is it? Is it? Is it that crazy? It's not. It's not that crazy. I honestly, when I started to follow along, and then when you had the partnership with Papa John's, and like kind of that whole connection there, it was like, I started to think, wow, okay, this is a very unique strategic partnership with a unique like kind of flavor and just like everything was building up this buzz. And you know, I mean, there's so much noise in the category, Every everything. We're competing against everybody for attention. And sometimes it does take something to pierce that, um, that noise for somebody to see something that then that brings them into your brand and they go, Oh, I never even knew this brand existed. Oh, they have all these other great things. Okay. And it's, and it's really like, to me, it made a lot of sense after we intentionally announced that on April 1st. Okay. I don't know if you remember that. So, um, you know, on April 1st, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of brands are making crazy announcements these days and we wanted people to be guessing, but as soon as we secured the endorsement, as the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association, uh, the idea came to me shortly thereafter. And, you know, w- what's really interesting about it is that so so ice cream is literally the number one pregnancy craving and pickles is like right there at the top of the list as well. And there's a couple of other things. There's like watermelon and lemons. Um, so so it really is a real thing. Like this is what this is what people crave. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to create conversations. We wanted to get uh, women talking to each other. Um, and we've got, we've gotten so much, uh, attention as a result of it. And, you know, one of the retailers that we're going into, uh, I don't know if I've told this story yet. I think I might have, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I've made it like public. Um, so one of the retailers that we're going to be rolling into here in Q1, we presented to them, I think in June or July, and we got a really good vibe. Like I felt like we're going in, you know, and and we talked about pregnancy at that point. And, and it was a big part because, look, let's face it, you know, a single 22 year old dude is not on the hierarchy of supermarkets, most valued clients like, you know, a pregnant mom, you know, maybe she's on her second pregnancy. You know, there's a household. There's, it's going to be it's three. It's going to be four. And. You know, the the basket size and especially for certain kinds of stores, you know, there's stores out there that don't just sell groceries. Right. If you know the kinds of stores that I'm talking about. Right. So so they really want to build these relationships um, and and get people into the groove and into the habit of buying from them. They have their baby registries. They sell diapers um, and they sell all kinds of stuff that you can live your whole life and really just shop at a store like this. So for them, the pregnant women are really hyper important. Um, so we presented and, you know, I got a really good vibe and it was early August and we posted on our Instagram pickles for two is now launched. And I got an email from that buyer. Couldn't have been more than 15 minutes later with a screenshot saying, Hey, why wasn't this on your item submission form? And I said, well, you know, we're kind of doing it as a gimmick. Um, you know, want to get people talking, do some e-commerce and get some buzz from it. He said, I think we want to put this in the stores. Um, please, you know, add it to the forms. And I was, you know, and and he, here I'm a guy that, you know, I think about the marketing value of these things, right? Um, and I don't know that it would sell well on shelf necessarily. Like if we didn't do, let's put it this way, Josh, if we weren't the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association, we wouldn't have launched the pickle flavor, yeah. right? It is a marketing strategy, right? You can call it a tactic or a gimmick or a ploy or a scheme or whatever, but it's a, it's a tactic. It's a strategy. I didn't think to put it on shelf, but then once he said that, it occurred to me that, oh my God, you know, of course, 
And, and what we're doing is we're doing a, a program which is two free pints for pregnant women. Um, and we've been doing it for, for about nine months now. Um, and so it, it just makes perfect sense that, you know, okay, now the woman can go and be like, hey, I'm going to try a pint of pickle, but I'm going to try mint chip or I'm going to try cookies and dreams. Um, and it gets, it gets the traffic into the store. So now we're expecting to go into multiple chains in the spring with pickles for two. Um, because the buyers see the value again, it's incremental. Look, I, you may love the pickle flavor. You may hate it. We've gotten great reviews. We've gotten some reviews from people who are like, Oh, it's just weird. We're not trying to get it on the shelf because we think it's going to be the number one repeat purchase seller, but it is, it's a, it's a magnet, right? It's, you know, it's a magnet to attract trial and drive conversation. And when the pregnant women are able to get it locally, and we're already sending samples out to OBGYN offices and things like that. We're networking with that. It's something that's going to drive that conversation. And, and that's what we want to be. We want to be remarkable. And I, I, I don't mean, I mean that in the literal way. We want people yeah. to have, to feel like they should be talking about this. This is, it's nighttime ice cream. It's sleep friendly. And for the pregnancy set with the pickle flavor, the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association, we want to get to that tipping point where, it's one thing to be the official ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association. It's another thing to actually establish ourselves as the official ice cream or the unofficial official ice cream of, of the pregnant woman and the pregnancy community. And that's one of the things that we're working towards. The pickle flavor, I mean, I, like you said, I mean, it, this is, it's not your daily driver. It's not going to be the one that you, you maybe go back to. Maybe some do, but I, I think some will. Like but, you, yeah. you know, the, the point is, it's really, if you're looking at and you're scanning that that cooler and then you pop and you see this pickle ice, that makes you stop and you go, whoa, what the heck is this? And then that's your chance to then yeah. hopefully get them into your 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 um, brand. And I really love like just what you're mentioning around some like the OBGYNs and all that, like I would say it like guerrilla marketing, but it's very different and unique and creative over just the typical way that ice cream brands or just CPG brands are looking at it. I mean, it, this is one of those alt channels that also have like a lot of influence. The, those, those professionals, those doctors have a lot of influence to the people that they're talking to. So if there's a way for them and you, you to use them as like, I don't want to say like thought leaders, but like, you know, influencers in a, in a more traditional sense of, of the word, they would yeah. be able to pierce through a lot of the noise as well. Cause when you're thinking about it, when you're sitting in a doctor's office, it's not like you, it's it's a more quiet place than if you are in a grocery store, if you're on TV, watching TV, things like that. You're in a more like relaxed state of your mind of, of advertising. So then when somebody is pitching something to you or just letting you know of something new that they, they found that was interesting, you're probably more welcoming of that message than you would be in another uh, situation. Well, yeah. And what we found is that actually this is a conversation that the typical OBGYN would have with the pregnant uh, you know, the expecting mom is about diet and nutrition because that's really important. Uh, and, and, you know, for years it's been low fat frozen yogurt is kind of what's been recommended when those ice cream cravings hit. And we know that's loaded with sugar. You know, it's, it's, um, high, high you know, high, uh, glycemic load and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's just not what you should be having. You know, gestational diabetes is, is becoming, I don't know if an epidemic is the right word, but it's very prevalent. And um, so, so it's, it's not like we are coming out of the blue. This is a, you know, the, what do I eat and what do I do about cravings is a conversation that was going on, you know, long before we, you know, launched Pickles for Two, long before we became the official ice cream of the APA. So, you know, we're kind of introducing something that the doctors can hopefully feel comfortable about. Um, and especially... You know, if we're in the local supermarket, like it's it would be one thing if it was like, oh, here's this product. You should buy it online. Like, that's kind of weird, I think. But, mm -hmm. you know, when when a doctor is sitting there in Boston and saying, oh, they're in all the Shaw's and Star, everybody's like, oh, OK, it, that's legit. You know, so you've got that air uh, of legitimacy because you've been validated by Albertsons and Kroger. Um, so uh, it, it's something that but it's really hard. Like the, the doctors don't want to influence and they don't want to advocate and they don't want to sell a product. So, you know, getting in there is, is a real process. Um, we were supposed to go to the OBGYN conference in Seattle uh, last April, but, you know, everything was getting canceled. Um, it's a really hard nut to crack, but we're starting to make headway. And 
we got contacted by uh, an ultrasound, a 3D, 4D ultrasound chain. I think they've got about 20 chains around the country called Stork Vision. Um, and they like to give out goodie bags. And so they're more comfortable than, I mean, a doctor, I don't think yeah. would be doing that necessarily, but there's other service providers and we're working our way through that, through that community over time. And ultimately I think the moms are going to drive it. You know, we've gotten doctors that have contacted us saying, Hey, one of my patients asked me about this. Um, and so, you know, we market to the woman, she goes to the doctor, the doctor says, I don't know. The doctor starts researching it. Now the doctor's comfortable. Now it starts trickling down to more of their patients. And that's kind of the model. And now we're trying to take that natural cycle. And now we're trying to um, encourage it. Now we're encouraging the women who sign up for our programs and get information, the pregnant women. We're, in, we're telling them, hey, have your OBGYN contact us and we'll send you some free ice cream as a thank you. Um, because we want to reach those doctors. And, and so we're starting to see some good results with that. That's something we just started in December, like so a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we think that's going to work well for us. So yes, they are true influencers because they are experts and the, the consumer, the, the mom is looking to them for advice. I want to zoom out a little bit. And, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier when we were talking about just like the PepsiCo Driftwell yeah. announcement. Um, and just around big CPG, the largest companies in the space, starting to put some focus on sleep and relaxation. And I think that a lot of people, I think, were looking at that news and they were super critical of a lot of different things. I, I mean, I was one just from the, the product. That, yeah, I thought, I thought, hey, there's they could have done a better job at it. I understand a lot of like the legal things that a company of that size needs to worry about in that category and, and all those types of things. But I think as just as macro as you can get when a big brand is focusing on a small, smaller nascent space, um, a trend that a lot of people like you and I have been thinking about for years, it is a good thing because a lot of their sales distribution, uh, marketing, um, everything that they have at their disposal will be put towards a category and hopefully get consumers to start to think about that category. Now, will it be that their product is the one that wins? Maybe, maybe not. But just those eyeballs into the category and starting for them to think about, hey, I've never really thought about sleep uh, products that maybe would be able to help my sleep or relaxation at nighttime. Are there other things here? Can I learn some more? Um, at least there's an attention that's being put on that area. And then for upstart brands like yourself, you need to then take you know all that crowd that's coming in there and saying, hey, look at our offerings. Look what we have available to us. Look at you know what we're talking about, the better things we're doing here, the stuff, our propositions, our angles on this one. And I think that that is going to really help things. And I think it's yeah. just a snowball effect. Honestly, I think that though they might be the first packaged uh, food or beverage brand to really like lean in on that one, I imagine in, in 2021 that you're gonna see the dominoes fall one, one, two, two, like all these companies left or right. And they're all gonna have their own obviously angles to this, but I think they're gonna realize that sleep and relaxation has been extremely undervalued, extremely underappreciated. People are not paying attention to it. And in a year like 2020, where all of us were on a extremely high stress, we realized that we were not sleeping all that well. And, and I think that people are starting to wake up to the idea of, I need to make some changes. I need to yep. figure out how do I, how do I do this? And I wanted to just kind of ask you, I mean, when you saw that announcement, I know that you and I talked, um, you know, through messages and stuff like that, but obviously nobody can see it. Like, what was your initial kind of thoughts when you saw like PepsiCo launched Driftwell. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, I mean, you touched on, so, okay, they're going to bring all these resources to bear and, and that's true. And that's going to help get eyeballs on the, on, on the space and get people thinking about, oh my God, I never really thought about that. Or, or let me, like you said, let me learn more. Let me learn what's out there. But to me, the most interesting thing, and I thought this is what you were going to say, but you, you went in a different direction. You said, so with all their resources and all the data that they have and, and all the, all the tactics that they can deploy. What I'm looking at is, okay, with all that information and all their resources, they decided to do this in the first place. So what are they seeing that that I saw? Maybe I didn't see it because I saw the data. I had a gut hunch, yeah. right? They're seeing something. If they're going into this, and, and we've seen Nestle comment on, on, on 
people wanting better stuff at night. We've seen the CEO of Mondelez say the same person that might eat something, you know, that might eat healthy all day, might eat more indulgent stuff at night. He literally, his quote was like, it makes a hell of a difference what time of day it is. Um, and we've seen uh, Kellogg's and, and, and Pepsi is saying, look, this is a big thing. We're going to drive this conversation. But, you know, the, the, the number of data points that these companies have, you know, for Pepsi to finally come in is amazing for us. Um, we've been contacted by really big companies that want to get into this space and they want to work with us because we put ourselves, we, we plopped, you know, have we grown as fast as I thought we would? No, but we're in the way. It's like, it's like walking down the, um, the aisle of an airplane, you're waiting to get on and, you know, they can't, they can't go around us, you know? <laughs> so they have to go through us right now. So we kind of plopped ourselves in the middle of the conversation um, these companies that are now saying, oh my God, Pepsi said this is the fastest they ever launched a, a beverage, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you're one of these big global CPG companies and you've kind of been seeing the data, but you're like, well, maybe people don't care, you know, and all that. And now COVID hits and you're like, holy, can I say, I can't say holy shit, yeah, can I? You can, yeah. Can holy, <laughs> right? so, so by the way, for everybody watching, right? So right now, you know, I'm just a guy, but of course now I'm the CEO of a public company. And I've, I've been consuming Josh's content for, I don't know, four or five years. And he's always got his hat on backwards. And he's always, you know, doing these, these, these whether he's doing interviews or whatever. So I'm like, okay, we're recording this on a Saturday. I'm going to wear a hat. You know, I never get to wear a hat, you know, on it. And then, of course, the one time, the one time he has no hat. And so I'm the guy with the hat. So, so, um, so for, for these companies that have been caught maybe at a little bit of a standstill, Right. How do they get into the game? Right. Do they start the R&D process? It's going to take two to three years because they can't do it as even as fast as we did with limited resources. They're over resourced, which means it's going to take them four or five times as long. Right. Because there's committee meetings. There's there's uh, well, you know. Right. Yeah. So so now they're like, oh, my God, we've been sitting on this. We kind of saw it coming. But now Pepsi's in this ice cream seems to be picking up. People are sleeping worse than ever. They're snacking at home more than ever. What the hell are we going to do? Let's call Sean. So this Pepsi coming in was the greatest thing. The day Pepsi, I think it was like September, middle of September, we updated every single presentation deck we had because we had meetings lined up, review meetings with, with our, our chains that we're in and new. And we made it a point like, look, Pepsi's behind this. We've been saying it for years. Pepsi's now behind it. How long is it until this category becomes a thing? And by the way, this is going to make the consumer aware, and we are years ahead of everybody else. This is going to be our year. So what I thought when Pepsi came in was, thank God, it's about time. Um, the category's coming. They see, I've seen it. Mintel, Mintel did a report a couple of years ago where they saw it. I, I, I talk about that all the time. And even then, it still didn't happen yet. Didn't happen yet. Didn't happen yet. You know, we're still scraping by. You know, when Pepsi comes in, okay, that's great. When we start getting calls from from these other conglomerates, that tells me that, you know, that yeah. it's happening. It's happening. It's got to happen. Because, Josh, here's the thing. We know, and I don't, you know, we know 87% of people saying it. We know they're eating junk. We know they want to sleep better. We know that that the experts are connecting the dots for people. So how can they just not, once we open the category, you can't unring that bell. And, and there's a point at which people will start to feel like, how could I eat the other ice cream when there's this one out there? And ultimately it will be chips and everything else. Like, like how could you eat the stuff that's, that's not better for your sleep if you're gonna be snacking at night? So I see the category being huge. Um, I've never wavered from that. And, and I, I was just so happy when Pepsi came in because you know, it, it, it should hopefully signal to anybody else that's paying attention, whether that's an investor, um, a category manager at the stores, or the consumer that this is something that warrants their attention. Yeah, there's a there's a point in all this that I think is not ever, I guess, appreciated to the level that it should. And, and this is that most of these large CPG brands, they tend to, when they enter a nascent uh, trending category, a, you know, early category, they usually buy a competitor. They don't launch it themselves because it's right. 
cheaper for them or they maybe think that they can do those things better. Now, Pepsi decided to launch it themselves, so that means something extra special. They mean that this is some a very big trend. They think we want to put all of our effort into building something from the ground up because we know this is a big category. And I think that that is super telling. And, and to your point around a lot of these large CPG portfolios, I, I've been in a lot of these rooms, both on some of their innovation teams, some of their strategy teams, and they're always aware of all these trends. But the problem is, is that the time in which it would take for them to launch something with all the bureaucracy and decision making that goes on, plus what they consider wins and losses, a yeah. lot of times are so high and, and such a threshold that even if that brand did $100 million, that to them is a loss. They, they don't want to do it. It's not worth their resources because all of their operating model is built in a way that they need scale. They need very large you know, categories. So rolling that all into what we were just talking about with PepsiCo's Driftwell, being that they said yes, all those things needed to be right. They needed to know that this is going to be a very large category. This is going to be something that they want to build. They want to they want to put their time and effort towards. They've been looking at it for years, I'm sure. But then, like you said, COVID hit, 2020 hit, and all of a sudden, all of those things started to align together. And they said, "It's time. It's time." And it's validating to you, obviously, being bleeding edge on this, and anybody else in the space that's been a lot like, of a lot of blood, people. <laughs> a lot of yeah, fear. harping on people that have been saying like. You got to focus. You got to focus on sleep and relaxation. And I've been, you know, kind of mentioning this in so many different ways around like meditation and just like all those trends starting to, to pay attention. And, and a lot of the, like the nutraceutical type of things that I work in a lot of times, like, you know, these adaptogens or different herbal ingredients or different things that now are starting to gain a lot of attention in the market. And you're starting to see you know, tens of millions of dollars on Amazon of different products that normally didn't sell. And all of a sudden this year they started to sell. And, and I think that all those things in conjunction together are building up a very large wave of, of just consumers starting to pay attention to an area that they never paid attention to. So I know you didn't want to go out and be as bullish as what I just did about saying all those things, but obviously you've been doing this before it was the cool thing. So you, you knew this, I mean, you were hoping it was going to happen in this direction. So just kind of relate to you is that I think this category is super bullish. And I, I, I think we're in not even the early innings, but like we haven't even hit the game warmups yet of batting where practice. this could kind of be at, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're still in batting practice. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be very rewarding um, you know, sometimes people say, well, the pioneer always gets the arrows in their back and, and all that. And people say, well, what's to stop the big guys from doing their own? It takes years. I mean, you know, and they don't want to do it until the category is proven. And by then it's, it's kind of too late. And, you know, honestly, even if somebody came in and, and tried to do what we're doing, I think it would force the second or third guy to come in and start calling and make an acquisition, you know, because everybody's going to be caught flat footed here if, if I'm right. Um, where they, like you said, they know they've had their eye on it. They probably always thought it was coming, but if it gets accelerated so much, I spoke to a, um, the senior VP of global snacking for one of the, I don't know, it's gotta be the, uh, I don't want to zero in too tightly, but definitely a top 10, probably top yeah. five, uh, food and beverage company in the world. Um, and he's now doing his own, uh, thing, consulting and investing. And he said that when he was at his companies, and there was there was two of them that are on that list because he spent a bunch of years at one and then a few more years at another. He said nighttime nutrition, nighttime snacking was always something that was on their radar. And he could it, it just never had enough momentum behind it for them to put it at the top of the list and say, okay, it was like one of the last cuts on the football team, right? Um you know, and, and they could never just find a, a spot for it to dedicate their energy to it. Um, I don't think everybody's going to have a, that choice, you know, after after what's going to happen this year in 2021. I don't think people are going to have a choice. And I know that that there's a lot that I can't say, but um, people can should be able to read the tea leaves with with what we've talked about, with what Pepsi's doing with what all these other companies are doing, it's inevitable and the category's coming. And it could even be the case that it would be a loss for one of these big companies. They could come in and like you said, we could do a hundred million in, in sales and and end up you know, where they would feel like, oh, maybe that was not great. Um, but for us, that would be a home run. And, and um, you know, we're gonna be in a great place. 
category's coming. We put ourselves in a good spot. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to feel rewarding, I think, when everything comes in around us. I mean, even – I think that's a little bit – else you said, what did I think when Pepsi came in? I think there was a little bit of relief, just like there was relief when Mintel reported that this is a trend that they see happening. Because I went pretty far out on a limb. I, I basically – I sold my old company um, my, my, you know, to my partners. I sold uh, my equity stake. I put, you know, hundreds, $200,000 into this business. I went five years without making a penny, without even accruing a salary, much less collecting. Um, and, you know, so when this starts to come in, it's like it makes me feel like a, a little bit of validation as well for basically what's my life's work right now. I know for me, when I'm leaning forward a lot of times on, on trends and things and I'm looking at stuff three, four, five years out, out people will look at me and they'll say, like, you're crazy. Or, or, you know, maybe they won't say that sometimes, but you get this cross eyes towards you and you're like, I don't think this guy's, you know, got everything going on in his head right now. And, and, uh, and then you see in the future, things start to roll in that direction. And you're like, all right, now I feel better that I went on a limb and, and said these things. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm super appreciative of anybody that you know, leans forward and looks at things a little bit differently. And, and not, not to say that, um, you know, this is a contrarian look at everything, because like you said, I mean, I think so many consumers, it made sense to them. It just wasn't, there wasn't offerings, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years yeah. ago. And then now there's still not all that many offerings that are specifically um, for that snacking occasion, but, you know, just having that um, strong, conviction in your mind to say like this is going to come i think is is impressive um so i i want to end on i want to end on that because i think that um you know there's a lot of good things that you said during this discussion i had a lot of fun talking to you sean i appreciate you giving me time like you said it was saturday so giving me time when you're on your weekend i, I definitely appreciate that if somebody wanted to follow the brand get to know the brand how do they do that well, so nightfood.com is our uh, is our website. Um, you know, we've got a link there. You know, we're a public company, so and we've got over five thousand shareholders. Uh, people can research and buy the stock. Um, we think there's huge upside. Obviously, there's risk in investing in a young company, but wow, um, I'm super excited. My my whole financial fortune, uh, if it, if it gets made, is right here. Um, so they could learn. Uh, they can click on the investor link there. Uh, following me on Twitter uh, personally or on um, LinkedIn, as well as, um, I mean, Facebook. Uh, our, our Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash nightfood. Instagram is the real nightfood. Twitter is nightfoodzzz. Uh, we couldn't get all the ones that we wanted with some of these, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, we just, we'd love for people to follow us and, and pay attention to what we're doing. And, um, you know, that's. Uh, from nightfood.com, they can find all these links. Appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks so much, Josh. It was a lot of fun.